have a president of the United States who is a racist. So that's pretty plain spoken from one Bernie Sanders. All right, whipping up a little racial animus. We like Deb Saunders. She's the White House correspondent for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. She's right there in the, the eye of the hurricane. She's close I to am. the power. Yeah, she knows she, what's going she on. Smell the evil from where she is. White, uh, White House correspondent for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Deb Saunders. Hey, Deb. Hi, how are you doing? Excellent. Uh, among our harebrained theories this morning, from uh, mm-hmm. to twirling the dial and listening to uh, everything from MSNBC to CNN to, uh, I almost said PBR. I almost I, I always say PBR when I'm thinking NPR. Perhaps Blue Ribbon. I, I think perhaps I have a problem. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, on even on PBR, they're talking about how both sides in the shutdown are really not, uh, not uh, acquitting themselves very well. They're finding fault with the Democrats, with Nancy Pelosi on MSNBC. It sounds to me like the pressure might be building to uh, to get together and actually negotiate. Is that a harebrained theory or what? I don't think it's a harebrained theory at all. And it's, I mean, the truth is what the White House has been doing and what uh, Democrats have been doing in Congress is all they care about is making the other guys look bad. They're not, they haven't been trying to cut a deal either side. So, uh, and, and the deal is, the only way that this ends is that when Republicans feel they have to do it and Democrats feel they have to do it. If one side thinks they're going to get something more out of it, they'll find a way to let it go on. And, uh, you know, this is not good for the economy. It's not fair to people to ask them to work without pay right. for, for a month plus. And um, so, so, yeah, I think that, I think that there should be pro- – if, if, if I'm listening to you – and I, I want this to end. I call up my congressperson, my senator, wh- whatever party, and say end it. Well, because the, that's the only way it happens. Well, the Washington Post editorial board said, hey, Democrats, he threw something out. you got to throw something back. You can't just reject it. So, you know, that's their cheerleading squad there. Um, I, I, This is unrelated to anything. How empty is the White House? I heard Trump talking the other day about he's just, he's, I'm here all alone. I was here alone. Over uh, over the holiday, and I'm just walking around in this big empty building. Is is it actually like that? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Why? I, I mean, uh, so so the briefing room. Uh, if you when you when you see the podium where Sarah Sanders used to come out and give daily briefings, and then you'd see there was a door. If you're looking at it to her left. Yeah. Behind that is the lower press area, and 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 then you can walk through some malls and you get to the upper press area where Sarah Sanders' office is. And and there are a lot of people who who work in in that area who are not there. Now they don't let the press wander all over the White House. So unless you're doing pool and you're brought into an event, that's what you're seeing. But it it's pretty quiet there. You know, there's a government shutdown and it's affecting the White House as well. So, but, but um, it's only you know 25 percent partially. So I don't I don't get it. Well, I mean, you'll always see a press person there every day. But you're just not seeing as many people there, yeah. and it, it it just it's quieter, and, and Washington's quieter. I mean, the commute's great. <laughs> really? <laughs> so it's 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 not noticeable in my life at all. I mean, at all. Be for most Americans, or, right? or, or yeah. you know, practically any American. But for you in D.C., it's very evident. Well, uh, look at it. Twenty five percent of the government is shut down, and if you have like a seven percent change in the in the commute, it really changes the traffic pattern. Oh sure, pattern. sure. That just so, the, yeah. 
This is the oh, longest. Yeah, I mean, it, and that's some good urban planning knowledge, too. <laughs> <laughs> this is the longest shutdown note. Now, the second longest shutdown was in 96, and the White House was empty, and Bill Clinton was wandering around and, and spotted a young intern with a thong, and that whole thing started. Because he was bored and walking around in an empty White House. I just I thought that was interesting, Trump talking about that the other day. It's just, I'm the only one here. Well, and of course, his family went down um, uh, to Florida, to Mar-a-Lago, most of it. I mean, uh uh, Melania did come back, and they did go to a rock in the middle of this, and they, they were traveling. But it's just, and you know, the, the, you know, you have to understand about this White House is they take any excuse to not share information with you. So mm. you've noticed we're not really seeing a whole lot of briefings. And today, Trump tweeted that he told Sarah Sanders not to do them because uh, press or don't treat her well. But also, I mean, we've seen those. Every time something happens, like during the midterms when Trump's out campaigning, they they had this way of sort of whittling everything back so that there wouldn't be as many briefings and they wouldn't talk to the press as much. And that keeps that's happening more and more. And so what you're getting is sort of these ad hoc press conferences. I mean, uh, we don't have Sarah Sanders doing briefings. We have Donald Trump when he feels like it talking to the press. They're, they're called pool sprays when the pool comes in and he talks to them. Or, you know, he'll be going out to Marine One and he starts talking. And that's that's where we're getting our information now. I'm highly uncomfortable with the lack of transparency, which has increased administration after administration over the last 20 years. And, and, and it's not going to come back. Whoever is in there next, it's not coming back. That makes sense. Hey, how crazy was the 24-hour period between Thursday night when the BuzzFeed story hit and Friday night when uh, Mueller knocked it down? How crazy was that 24 hours? Well, you know, um, I mean, being from the school of, oh, uh, I don't think I have to react to a story from BuzzFeed that's based on two uh, anonymous sources. It. <laughs> Didn't affect my life a whole lot. Okay, gotcha. There were, a lot of, there were people who really obviously were going crazy over it. And oh, yeah. Social media went nuts and a lot of other people. I just uh, I just try to have better, you know, better. I, I try to source things better. I, 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 there's enough real no- news going on here that we don't have to jump on every story that comes out that's based especially on unknown sources. So, I mean, look at, I mean, we had, we've had the shutdown. Uh, you know, of course, Trump did this at thing Saturday. Mueller shot it down, but there's so much going on right now that well, why would you bother, you know, sort of ripping up the pages for that? Right. Well, we're sure you have Catholic schoolboys to shame there in the swamp. Exactly. But a couple more questions. Uh, we thought we kind of thought uh, impeachment fever would be running high during that period between the BuzzFeed news story and the uh, the Mueller statement. I mean, there had to be some buzz. Well, you know, if you say that, but I think it was Axios that came out with a, a story where they talked to the freshman Democrats, and it's a very small number that want to really push for impeachment right now. So during that 24 hours, you're right. If you turned on uh, CNN or you watched MSNBC, that you, you kept hearing, if true, right, then we have to impeach Trump. And that did get that fever up going, but then, of course, it got shot down. And, and, and I think a lot of Democrats understand that uh, if they just rush through impeachment without having seen Robert Mueller's report, special counsel's report, they look sort of rapid. And of course, let's let's get to the really important thing, which is it's not they're not going to get rid of Trump because the Senate, borrowing some new information that we haven't seen, that there's no way in the world the Senate would convict him. We don't even know that impeachment would pass. 
Right. So, right. so it's like, how much, and, and, and look at that, you know, I was talking earlier about the shutdown. Nobody cares about cutting a deal. They just want to make the other side look bad. And that's the impeachment story, too. I mean, you really have these people who really, they can't stand Donald Trump, uh, and they want they want him out, and they nothing will get in their way. But it doesn't really help the party because you're not going to get what you want. Deborah J. Saunders, White House correspondent, Las Vegas Review Journal, is on the line. You know, Deb, it just struck me my uh, my daughter is going to college, like right in your neighborhood. Uh, someday, can I buy you guys lunch and have her? Uh, yeah. I, I love her, having her meet, you know, smart women who've who've done stuff in the world. So, and you're definitely on that list. As a smart woman who's done stuff. There you go. Right. Where is she going? In brief. I'm not going to say that on the air. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. It's it's, it. it's a small cobbler's school in uh, <laughs> Capitol Hill area. Shoe repair, underappreciated in the modern world. <laughs> All right. We'll talk soon, Deb Saunders. Thank you. All right. Yeah. So I'll throw this in while we're on the topic. The cover of The Atlantic got a lot of attention, and this happened before the BuzzFeed story came out. A lengthy and much-discussed article by Yanni Applebaum. Do you still get The Atlantic? Have you read this? Proposes, I do, because I'm better than you. Proposes that Congress immediately begin impeachment proceedings against President Trump for being unfit for office and evincing little respect for the rule of law, regardless of whether or not he's committed any crimes. Yeah, I, I, this I is saw a lot that of attention. and I read part of it, and I thought, wow, okay. Alan, right. Alan Dershowitz, Harvard Law, who is a Clinton supporter and doesn't like Trump, but right. has been in the weird position of standing up for, for liberal ideals, uh, points out to the Hill, the framers explicitly rejected those criteria for impeachment, that is, being unfit for office, right. and demanded that high constitutional threshold of high crimes and misdemeanors be met, Fact is, Applebaum's criteria could be applied to any president, but he also right, depending su- on your point of view, yes, sure. And he also suggested even if it fails, impeachment would be the best way to run out the clock on an administration. If that becomes oh, that's right, an idiotic idea, such an approach, says Dershowitz, would only encourage wrongful weaponization of impeachment as a partisan political tactic to be deployed by both parties. That's it's like killing a hobo for the purpose of distracting people from you know something else. That's an that, what what are you insane? You know, it's funny. I didn't get to that part of the article. I started into it. And it was clear to me it was just a stew of kind of Alec Baldwin esque opinion and so kind of your their... your MSNBC roundtable. Uh, no regard for the rule of law. So I mean, making... oh, that may be true, but so please. they're making the serious argument that to save the nation, because Donald Trump is so destroying our country, yes, we'd be better to lock be locked in an impeachment battle until the next election, yeah. just to run out the clock. Right. Well, that wouldn't come back to haunt you at all. Well, right. You know, and 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 here's a better metaphor. You and your your spouse are arguing and you set a fire to distract from the the argument yeah what happens the next argument she sets a fire and then after that you're going to torch the sofa oh great idea super she won't be able to make a point if you know her bedroom's burning but you gotta you admit that's a serious magazine with serious people who read it and write it yeah it's not you know it's not a bomb chucking show no, it is not a BuzzFeed, for instance, right. or a Slate, or a HuffPo. Uh, on the other hand, you know, sometimes their stuff has impact, sometimes it doesn't. And it's a perfect example, and we're going to be talking to one of our uh, favorite journalists about this later, but um, it's a perfect example of desperation in the media leading them to, you know, really prostitute themselves. It's just you dumb. saw the World War One movie. 
The, yeah. Peter, the Peter Jackson movie. I did. I did. And it is brilliant. I'll bet. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. brand of ready-to-eat chicken nuggets following complaints that packages had pieces of wood in them. Hmm. And if there's one thing chicken nugget consumers don't want, it's a natural ingredient. <laughs> oh, says you, you skinny, probably vegan Manhattanite. Right! Right! Like there's something wrong with us who like our chickens, our nuggets, something. Dox him! Tweet terrible things about him! Encourage violence! Good chicken nuggets are great. Crappy ones are terrible. Agreed. Mm -hmm. What is a nugget jack but a small morsel? Exactly. So uh, there was a... uh, They're just doing like one-night showings now and again. It's those special event-type showings of Peter Jackson. He's made all those delightful Hobbit movies. He did a World War I documentary uh, entitled uh, They Shall Not Grow Old. And it is astounding in a number of different ways. It is... The the obvious headline is they took archival footage from the 19-teens and colorized it. But they didn't just colorized it. They corrected for the speed. You know how old-time films always look jumpy and people are... Babe Ruth! Babe Ruth! He runs up to the throat! The pace is all wrong. They took every single inch of film and corrected the speed so it flows properly. They... And they colorized it. You know how on, like, your spy shows, zoom in, now enhance, in ways that you can't really do, and all of a sudden you can read the guy's driver's license from a mile? (laughs) Well, but they did that with the greatest technology available on Earth. They corrected the speed. They sharpened the focus. They colorized it painstakingly over an enormous amount of time with the best people in the world and the best computers in the world. Um. And they lightened footage that had grown very, very dark through the years, and they darkened light footage. And 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 I'm sorry, I'm getting to, to I'm getting ahead of myself. After the movie, which is about an hour fifty or so, roughly, they run the credits. Then Peter Jackson comes on, and there's a half hour documentary on how they made it. Oh, wow. which wow. is wonderful as the documentary is. The documentary on the documentary was just mind blowing. Hmm. But so anyway, the the main body of the thing, though, having achieved it was made yesterday film of these guys fighting World War One in the nineteen teens. Uh, one of the main themes of the documentary is they had so much footage and that so much happened in World War One. They had to decide how are we going to approach this. What story are we going to tell? Or That's what? A, one thing I haven't heard about this. I've seen the examples of the video, and it looks fantastic. I'd love to see it on a big screen. But I haven't heard. Did they start in 1914 and just take you chronologically through it? No, Do they focus not on at all. one battle? I mean, what do they do? It, it is about the experience of being an infantryman, infantryman in World War One, hmm. Trench warfare, trying to charge across the field and take a trench. Boredom, waiting, trench foot, laughing, camaraderie. Um, just everything uh, about being an infantryman 
in World War One. That ex- that human experience. And he talks about that in the documentary that they had super cool footage of, you know, Navy and, and some air stuff. And did they want to do a history? They, they wanted to leave the big history pictures to historians. They just wanted to focus on being a mm. human being in World War One. And it is just beautiful and affecting and heavy and sickening at times. Uh, yeah, Sean. Yeah, what I was really moved by when I saw, I've only seen the trailer of it, but how the simple act of colorizing it and speeding up the film made it seem so much less far removed from my current day-to-day existence. Right. You wouldn't think you would need this as a human being because what you're seeing on those jumpy old black and white films are clearly other human beings. Right. But for some reason, smoothed and enhanced and colorized, and the colorization is miraculous. Um they are much more human to you. They're like, oh, I know a dude looks just like that. That guy just made a joke I would make. Um, and and what they did, and again, this was in the documentary, is these movies are almost entirely silent, but you could see the guy's mouths moving. They had the best lip readers in the world figure out what they were saying. Then they figured out what regiment they were. They went to that part of England, found people who talked like that, and had them say on the soundtrack what the guy was saying. And then they filled in the sound of the battle and all from actual battle noises. It's miraculously well made and really affecting. Uh, they Shall Not Grow Old is the name of it. See it if you can. I'd like to. What's and coming it's, up? It's, uh, there's much more to say, and I will. Okay. Marshall's News is next. What are you going to talk about? Trump probably something? Of course. <laughs> the guy from The Apprentice? You're listening to The Armstrong and Getty Show. Got this text. Saw the World War One movie last night myself. Says this texter, one of the oh, best excellent. things. One of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's just a knockout. The documentary itself, and the documentary about the making of the documentary, was just terrific. If you get a chance to see it, see it. But one thing, one thing about it, one thing you'll take away from it, I think, is that. After World War One, when these kids, and a lot of them were kids, because you could lie about your age like crazy to go serve your country, nobody checked. Quite the contrary. Yeah. that you would, They'd say, how old are you? And you'd say, 16. And they'd say, go outside, come back in, and say you're 18. And that's what it took. But anyway, after these guys endured what they endured, which was frequently just horrific, they went home to indifference slash hostility, widespread unemployment, and as often, the glorious promises and adulation heaped on them as they were heading off to war when they came home again was apathy and neglect and, and yeah, great super and not wanting to hear about it. And, and the eternal problem of, uh, you know, the vets couldn't really talk to civilians about what they'd seen and, and done and endured and the rest of it. And, and again, just countries like to make glorious promises as they send guys off to war, yeah. and then they forget about them. They forget about them when they come home. It's practically universal, which does not mean it's accept- it's acceptable. Uh, reform the VA now, please. I'll let that be the end of the uh, the screen. But go see it. it's wonderful. News now with Marshall Phillips. Well, President Trump showing no signs of abandoning abandoning his border wall on Twitter this morning. Trump said, "Quote." Without a wall, our country can never have border or national security. With a powerful wall or steel barrier, crime rates and drugs will substantially go down all over the U.S. The president adding, the Democrats know this, but they want to play political games. Must finally be done correctly. No cave! Exclamation point. 
This comes as the partial government shutdown goes into its 32nd day and the Democrats still showing no willingness to deal. I've seen a lot of stupid episodes in politics in my adult life, but and this is this is in the top tier. Yeah, no uh, cracks among the uh, Pelosi-Schumer crowd, but when the Washington Post editorial board says, hey, look, Democrats, you got to respond with something. He threw something out, you got to respond with something. That's what compromise is. I think the writing's on the wall, well, isn't even it? the leftiest cable networks are saying both sides are looking very foolish here, and if MSNBC is conceding it's both sides, yeah, the, the winds have changed. I have a follow-up report to uh, one we mentioned the other day. Yes, missile experts say they have indeed discovered a secret headquarters for one of North Korea's ballistic missile programs. The report by the Center for Strategic and International Studies in D.C. said the site is just one of 20 the North is suspected to not be declaring. So I haven't. <laughs> so, so I haven't read the whole Wall Street Journal article today about how we've had spies talking to their spies for a decade about this. Do our spies not relate to their spies? Who then tells whichever fathead is in charge at the time? Look, I mean, ultimately, if you use them or go far enough, we'll obliterate you. So, what's your end game here? Does that conversation never happen? Uh, I think it probably does. But, you know, it's it's a game of bluffs. Diplomacy. They, you know, it's funny. As you were saying that, I was thinking, Trump ought to sit down with Fathead yeah. and say, look, seriously, we will make you a deal that's going to make your country way wealthier. You will be hailed as a god for the rest of your life and for decades afterward. If you come to the table, seriously, and eliminate your nukes. If you don't, we are going to take out those 20 sites two weeks from now. Tick tock. You have 48 hours to respond and get up from the table. I was picturing that. But Fathead knows we don't want to do that. You know, that'd be a hell of a move. And, you know, he'd launch on Seoul, the rest of it. So just everybody's uh, everybody's yep. bluffing and with, you know, many thousands of lives. All right, my friends, if you thought your information is actually safer because you don't use Facebook or Twitter... That'd be me. Think again. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Researchers at the University of Vermont and University of Adelaide gathered more than 30 million public posts on Twitter from over 13,000 users. And using this data, they discovered even if a person leaves a social media platform, just leaves, just gone, or never even joins one in the first place... The online posts and words of their friends still provide about 95% of the potential predictive accuracy of a person's future activities. So, I've never been on Facebook, but Facebook, through their uh, miraculous and and terrifying algorithms, have figured out who I hang with Uh through other things. Uh And so they've figured out more or less who I am and what I might want to buy. Yep. One of the uh, lead, uh, one of the leaders of the study said, "Look at from another direction. When you sign up for Facebook or another social media platform, you think you're giving up your information. Nah, you're also giving up your friends' information as well." Wow! Thanks, friends. So there you go. Some friends you are. All right, here it is. Big night in Hollywood. Big morning in Hollywood. Oscar nominations are out, and Roma and The Favorite have the most nominations. Both films have. Ten nominations. Can you so give far. me one sentence as to what Roma is? 
Uh, Roma is about a middle-class family living in Mexico in the early 1970s. Okay. There you go. And then what's the other one? Black and white. white. What's the other one? It yep. is? Yeah. Come on. Uh, it's a foreign language film. you got to read. I don't oh, know. Yeah, read no, 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 no. Read no. I'm not <laughs> reading my movies. And the uh, other one with uh, 10 nominations is The Favorite. And Joe, you said you saw that? No, he oh. almost saw that. Oh, that, yeah. I, saw that. I came oh. very close. Okay. I watched two full trailers for it. Oh, okay. It's about three chicks being mean to each other, and one of them is a queen. It looks, it, I believe it's uh, some sort of satire. It seems funny, and oh, it's yeah, telling. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, 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 it lo- it, I want to see this movie. It it's, looks good. It's mean girls with fancy <laughs> old-timey costumes. Yes, gotcha. yes. So a couple firsts from the Best Picture nomination. So Roma, the aforementioned Roma, right. is the very first uh, Netflix movie that has been nominated for Best Picture. And Black Panther is the first superhero movie to be nominated for Best Picture as as well. Mm. Um, some competing uh, virtue signaling in the Best Picture categories. It'll as be, always. It'll be interesting to see which one comes out on top. Black Panther or Black Klansman? Yeah, you got that one. You have uh, Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. for the LGBTQ crowd. Green Book? Because uh, Freddy's a gay fella? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't know that was virtue signaling. I thought it was just because people like the rock and roll. Well, that well, it's not virtue signaling, but is awarding a... Awarding a movie uh, starring a man as that could be seen sure. as this is okay. a wonderful right. movement. Fair uh, uh, Green Book is considered the driving Miss Daisy of this year. Right. Uh, Roma, you got the immigration stuff. So a lot of competing mm. virtue signalings Here, in that yay. best picture category. Oh, Maybe got a star is born. Uh, that's just a fan favorite. That's yeah. there's no virtue okay. signaling in that. And yeah. my favorite vice, all about Dick Cheney. So I was oh, listening yeah. to uh, to NPR PBR yeah. as I like to call it. Um, this morning, and the, the they're talking about the Oscars coming on their their Hollywood Reporter. Um, does anybody care really about Hollywood anymore? I hope not. But anyway, their Hollywood Reporter comes on and says, "Well, they may not have a host, but all eyes are on the Oscar nominations." And I thought she's going to say, you know, because I kind of think ahead of what somebody might be saying because I'm very impatient. I thought she was going to say <laughs> because remember the Oscars is not about. The host, it's about the movies. Sure. But no, she said, all eyes are on the nominations to see if any women will be nominated for Best Director and if they'll win and <laughs> if the nominees are diverse enough. Before she got to, like, which are going to win or which ones are going to I know that was the number popular. one thing on my mind. So, <laughs> Vice got nominated for Best Picture? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's a movie I, will, I do want to see. It might be great yeah. or it might just be right. so obvious... To take a shot at Dick Cheney and George Bush. Not very flattering. I've actually asked the director to visit a, a bit of a black <laughs> offsite in Libya. We're operating now. Right. <laughs> He's enjoying, <laughs> enjoying himself very much. Yeah. All right. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. The Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. And for the first time, I believe, this year, let's ring the bell. Uh, Liberty Bell. Philadelphia, PA. Everybody loves snubs. I think the two biggest snubs to not receive nominations this year were the uh, the Mr. Rogers uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor documentary, not nominated for the documentary, I think is, is a big overlook. And uh, Boots Riley, original screenplay for Sorry to Bother You. I was really hoping that would get there. That's a really a creative, original, fascinating movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Mm. And they're doing it without a host. Okay. Nobody wants the gig. Can't blame them. No. Thankless. Awful. Why would you want that? Um, journalism has is might be broken. I think journalism is broken. We're going to talk to somebody smart about that, among other things. You're, stay with us. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. 
The Armstrong and Getty Show. I don't want to have to listen to the whole minute and a half. Ocasio-Cortez said the world is going to end in 12 years. She talking about yeah. uh, climate change yep. or the economy? Climate, climate change. change. Yep. Is that a misrepresentation of what she said? No, or? no, that's what she said specifically. It, uh, go ahead, yeah. Millennials and people and you know, Gen long. Z and all these folks that come after us no, we are looking before. up and we're like, the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. And your biggest issue is your your biggest issue is how are we going to pay for it? And okay. like, and so that's yeah. I, uh, what 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 reporting though is she using to back that up? She doesn't say. No, I think she's saying young people are looking to us, and they're they're saying the world is going to... Young people think the world is going to oh, end in 12 years okay. if we don't do something about climate change, and all you guys are doing is talking about the bills. Yeah. I, I see. Okay, that makes sense to me. Right. I was talking to somebody the other day. It said basically the same thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I saw the other point of view, and you'd think, you know, in a country of this size and you know, with, with as many media outlets as there are, you'd have an intelligent uh, discussion of that, and then... I saw an article uh, tweeted at us that um, why doesn't like they were singling out Chuck Todd, who was banging the climate change alarmist drum. Um, why isn't anybody talking about what the various uh, methods, the uh, the plans would cost and what they would do to the economy? So and not in a therefore you should be terrified and do nothing wait no just an honest discussion hey i like the idea of uh, solar and windmills too here's what it would cost here's how much energy would it would produce so here's uh, you know uh, the, what we'd actually have to do here's, here's what it would cost and what it would do to the economy here's the amount of freedom of choice you'd have to take away from consumers to get to the number you want to get to right you'd have to just uh, automatically say you no longer can have this kind of car, this kind of energy. Sure. And more importantly than that, I think the bulk of your money and time would have to be spent. I mean, if the world were going to end in 12 years, based on current projections, <laughs> I would spend all my time today on flying to China and India to talk to them. Because unless they're on board, right. ain't nothing we're going to do about it. Nope. You know, it's funny. Uh, as long as this came up, we got a great note from Andy, a uh, tech guy, longtime listener of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Um, about green energy and uh, something I brought up the other day about solar panels. And listen, I'm pro. If we could get good, solid, renewable green energy going and produce enough to power even a significant part of the economy, that'd be great for everybody. I'm in favor of this, but I'm a realist. I'm not a unicorn-riding fantasist who just lets my my wishes be the father of my thoughts. I, I like to figure out what's actually happening. And Andy writes... Uh, you guys talked about green energy, the disposable, the disposal of solar panels, which are absolutely chock full of heavy metals. When this generation of millions of solar panels is shot, getting rid of them is going to be a nightmare. But he writes, I think the only reason the proponents of renewable energy can describe it uh, that way is because they've never seen the effects of manufacturing and also disposing of solar panels, batteries, and associated electronics. There are two further points here. Firstly, the E-R-O-E-I, or energy returned on energy invested for renewable sources is terrible due to the amount of energy required to manufacture these things in the first place and the relatively small amount of energy they produce. You get what he's saying. Mm -hmm. It takes a 1,000 megawatts to make a solar panel that takes 23 years to produce, you know, whatever. And and I just made up those figures. But, yeah, that's, that's what he's talking about. 
There's a decent argument that we can only afford to make these things because fossil fuels have made energy so cheap. Secondly, not only are the minerals required to make modern electronics not renewable, existing sources are largely held by China and other non-Western countries. This makes us even more suspicious of the current drive toward electrifying everything. Apart from not polluting the air at the point of use, they're a very dubious environmental benefit and also create a dependence on a very large global supply chain. That's what I'm talking about. What does it cost to manufacture all the solar panels you're going to talk about? We're going to have to empty the earth of various minerals, for instance. And then we're going to have these mind-boggling stockpiles of heavy metals we know nothing we have no idea what to do with as it supplies, you know, 11% of the electricity currently used by the American economy and I don't know the current uh, figure on Sean uh, real quick, percentage of energy supplied by solar for instance, and wind is so hilariously small, it's not even worth mentioning. But even if we were to like triple the amount, we're still not even halfway to where we need to be, uh, the amount of energy produced. And in the meanwhile, we've, uh, as Andy points out, we've used a, a mind-boggling amount of energy to make those things, and then we have an environmental disaster. Sean? So including solar, wind, and hydroelectric dams, 18% of all electricity in the U.S. was produced uh, by renewable in 2017. That's solar, amazing. Hi- and dams. Because hydroelectric is is solid. I mean, you just you put turbines in a river, and they get turned by the flow of the water, and you're good. Um, you know, granted, it, it's not like it has no environmental impacts, but it, you know, it doesn't put filth in the sky or whatever. Um, yeah, and, and it's terrible. You know, the number of environmentalists who come who are coming around to nuclear power is amazing. I heard the point made the other That's day. That's the one I can get on board with. I've gone back and forth through the years because, again, I just like to figure out what is. I don't like pick a side. I and remember find when facts. you burned your bra and you had your no nuke sign. Well, right, right. Now is hanging reason- out with Graham Nash barefoot. Yes. So the. There were some nuclear, quote-unquote, disasters that happened early on that just kind of scared people off of this for yeah, a they long time. Nearly, they're not nearly as bad as they were described. The, right. the, the, the cost to humanity was much, much smaller than the cost of virtually every other uh, form of energy we've ever used. And the other point that the guy made that I thought was brilliant, and he was a former, hardcore, globally known anti-nuclear activist, he said, nuclear waste is the only energy waste we can contain. Everything else is released into the environment one way or the other. We actually contain this. we got to get better at storing it. Yeah, it's radioactive, but... A lot of countries, France, others, have been using lots of nuclear power for a long time with no problems. Right, right. Even the actual death tolls and stuff from Chernobyl, which is horrifying if you happen to live there or around there, it's not a joke, but it's not nearly as bad as it's portrayed. Plus, it was the, the crappy, deteriorating Soviet Union that put that together. They didn't even have containment domes over those reactors. I would assume we'd be better at it than that. <sighs> well, if we're not, shame on us. But so I just, the amount of like unicorn riding, wishful thinking, spouting off of an OAC, for instance, just, it's just annoying to me because it is an actual problem. But people saying we need renewable, we need a green revolution. They've never done the math. I'm pro-nuclear. Yeah, I could get behind that. Do I march or yes, get a you sticker march. for my car? By all means. Oh, both of them. Multiple stickers. And the- it seems it seems clear to me that the, the proper solution where we ended up 
landing will be some combination of all these things. It's unlikely that any single one of these things is going to answer all of the energy problems that the U.S. has or energy needs that the U.S. has. As much as possible of the best one and as little as possible of the worst one. Right. And then on a sliding scale in between. What's the over under for uh, for uh, crazy people and car stickers? (laughs) Well, let me put it to you like this. At what point is it clear the person driving the car would be incredibly annoying. Have you ever had a bumper sticker on your car? I never have. I have. I've never had one. In years past. I couldn't even tell you what they were. Really? Yeah. You oh, went so far as to have a sticker, but you don't remember what it said. Well, you know, I was driving a car when I was up to, you know. Cash, grass, and something else. No one rides for free. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one. No, I can't remember. Hell, I had a Chicago Cubs sticker. I mean, that sort of thing. Oh, right. Yeah, I remember that. I would submit to you. Three stickers is the max you can have without communicating to the world unequivocally Three's that a you're lot. a very annoying person. <laughs> if you And listen, some of you with four stickers, four plus stickers, which is over the line, some of you, I agree with you on like everything, but you're probably way over the top. Three's a lot. Right. I'm not talking mentally ill. I'm not talking wrong. You're just saying even. annoying. An, you're an annoying person. <laughs> you probably talk about this stuff more than your friends want to hear. I think it's four. <laughs> not, now, I don't want to hurt any feelings. Not, well, you're, you're, I think you're being plenty generous there. Okay. Yeah. Just trying to deal with facts. <laughs> <laughs> Window counters have got to be on the bumper. Just on the car. Oh, on the car. Anywhere just on in the general, car. yeah. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. <laughs> 